0: Welcome to the First day's Podcast. Today is Faith Promise Sunday, and we welcome Dr. Doug Jones as our guest speaker, talking to us
1: about missions and how we can support missions around the world. Doug Jones is our special speaker today. Doug is, uh, is an institution on Northwest District missions. And so he's a member of the, the Spokane First Church of the Nazarene. And is his, professionally he is a professor at Whitworth University. He teaches uh, family, and, marriage, and family therapy. And in the marriage and family therapy court, uh, master's program there, he's the the chair of the department, working on starting a doctoral program there. And so, uh, I didn't bring somebody who's a specialist in marriage and family therapy. Uh, just because I told a story about Alyssa and I riding our tandem bicycle last week, that wasn't, it's unrelated, I just don't want anybody c- connecting the dots there and thinking more about this than it is. Uh, Doug is, uh, is also um, a man who, as a layperson, has had an incredible heart for Nazarene missions and has said, if there is an opportunity for me to go and be a part of that, I want to be there. And so Doug has gone on on multiple trips to South Asia, and he's worked with our friend Simon Jothi, who's there in South Asia, and uh, has done a lot of teaching uh, around India and Nepal and Bangladesh, and uh, and so he he's going to be talking more about that last uh, about that tonight uh, when we have dinner together. This morning he's going to talk about his experience in Poland. As a district, after, after the invasion of Ukraine, we saw all of the refugees coming from, from Ukraine into Poland. And as a district, we said, what can we do? Uh, we, we didn't know if we could, could help in many ways, but we knew someone who could. And we looked to Doug as somebody who, who had the skills to go in and just provide some, some care. To, to refugees. And so we, as a district, we asked Doug if he'd be willing to go, and he was willing. And so he's going to tell us a little bit more about that experience. As we think about Nazarene missions, I, I love having missionaries come on Faith Promise, but I because they're kind of like on the front lines. But I love having people who can speak to our experience and a variety of experience with Nazarene missions. And so Doug comes with sort of a variety and a global picture of what the church is doing around the world. And so I'm excited for for Doug to come and share with us. Doug, come and lead us.
0: It's weird to be here today. Um, Paul sent me an email saying, would you come talk on Faith Promise? And I'm going, you got Paul here. Why do I need to come talk about faith promise? Um, I was thinking about one of those songs, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. And that's really kind of what I wanted to focus on a little bit today. I can honestly say I stand here today as a man who absolutely loves and has a passion for missions. That wasn't always so. Um, go ahead, next slide. Um, so, you know, there's, I'll be honest, when I became a Christian, I said, okay, God, anything but missions. Um, you know, this, this thing about, yet not I have a Christ in me, means that Christ has to be in me. So I go have to go back to my foundational years, because as I thought about Poland and our trip there. You know, nice thing about being at this end of life is you get to look back and see how God has prepared you for pretty much everything he's ever asked you to do. Um, I began attending church in high school. Um, I find there's two kinds of people that go to church in high school. The ones that parents make them go to church in high school. And in my case, those that like a girl, that goes to high school, or goes to church, so, um, there's, like, a really cute girl that I really liked in high school. She was going to church and said, would you like to come to church with me? And, like, any smart boy, I said, sure. Um, so I went to church there, um, and, I, you know, there's a lot of things that happened. I didn't really become a believer in that church, um, I did get baptized so I could be a member of the church because that was a requirement. It really wasn't seem to be tied to this thing called salvation. Um, but I met a great pastor who began to mentor me during that time period. Um, and he left shortly after I went to college. Again, remember, I'm not a believer in college. I didn't get to go to someplace like NNU. I went to San Diego State, the number two party school in the state of California, And so, um, pretty much I went to church when I didn't have a hangover in college, and that was not very many Sundays. Um, Still go, eventually graduated, got commissioned, went to Sacramento, and uh, began navigator training. Always wanted to be a fighter pilot, that's all I wanted to do since I was a little itty-bitty kid. And this was my first step towards getting to be a fighter pilot. I'd grown up uh, in an Air Force family. Got to see fighter pilots at the Officers Club. Thought, this is my future. This is what I'm going to do. And so God took me to Sacramento. I met a young couple. Actually, I met two young couples. They're really kind of interesting. They both wanted to evangelize me. Um, one was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And one was a Southern Baptist couple. Um, so I'd go to LDS church in the morning and I'd go to the Baptist church at night Um, eventually I want you to think about there's some threads here Um, there was a really cute girl in the choir Um, I stopped going to the LDS church and started going to the church in the morning so I could see her twice instead of once during the day and one day one Sunday night Well, then on Sunday morning, I remember the pastor was preaching on Satan's greatest lie. And he said, Satan's greatest lie is there's plenty of time to make a choice to follow Jesus Christ. Now, remember what I wanted to do for a living? I want to be a fighter pilot. People die doing what it was that I was training to do. And I, I resonated on that sermon all day long. Um. Because back then we had Sunday school, church, Sunday evening training, and then church. And I found myself going back to church on Sunday night. And when the invitation came, I just kind of found myself standing at the front of the church. And the pastor said, what are you here for, Doug? I said, I guess I'm here to follow Jesus Christ. Was baptized, um, adopted into this cute girl's family. And they began to. Every Sunday, we spent all day on Sunday. One of the things that happened is I got saved as I was delivered from drinking, and I was delivered from a potty mouth. Because um, you know, you have if you're going to be a fighter pilot, you got to get the language down. Um, and all of a sudden, that was not going to be okay with who I was as a follower of Christ either. Again, anything but missions. I had an understanding of missions that all missions was was people going to Africa and living in grass huts for the rest of their lives, or Ecuador. Um, And that was what I thought missions was and that didn't sound terribly appealing to me. So, um, I went to England and my first choice, I wanted an F-111 and I wanted to fly in England, so God sent me to England. Um, And I met another young couple, a guy named Joe Joe and Becky Hughes. And as soon as I got to the squadron, he says, hey, he didn't know I was a Christian. He didn't know I was a believer, but he came up to me and said, you know, we have a Bible study on Friday night. Would you like to come to Bible study on Friday night? Now, that's not exactly what fighter pilots typically do on Friday night. I said, sure. And we began to grow he became a paul to my timothy relationship and they again adopted me in and fed me that's another seems to be a theme here people that feed me i tend to stick around and um so i find myself in england a couple things happen one is i joined this thing called officers christian fellowship which began to develop me and disciple me um and that was a pretty big piece of what's going on the other thing I did is I knew I needed a master's degree and otherwise you don't make major in the Air Force so I went to the education office I said hey I need a master's degree what do you got and they said well we have an MBA from Troy State University and I thought well that's good I was an accounting undergraduate and um they said, would you like to teach in it? And I said, no, I don't have a master's degree. I want a master's degree. And they said, well, that's okay. You get your master's degree while you're teaching. I said, no, what else you got? And they said, well, we have a degree in human development counseling from Vanderbilt. I said, don't know anything about counseling. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. And so I went through, got a degree in counseling, um, I want you to just listen for how God prepares me for lots of years later to go to Poland. Um, so did that. next slide. So this is a day. Um, started out like pretty much every other day i had I'd been the scheduler for that week. I was coming off scheduling, which meant I get to fly um, and I, there's a sweet, sweet mission that I wanted that day. It was a low-level mission. Off the, you'd fly down off of the coast of Wales, and then you got to attack France supersonic. I mean, that's like really fun, fun mission. I showed up to work in the morning to go fly. And um, remember, I'm a scheduler, so I scheduled myself into this mission. And I showed up in the morning, and my name's lined out. And a guy named Rick Franks was placed in my airplane. To make matters worse, they made me work in the command post that day to track everybody else's flying. And um, I was not a happy camper. So about mid-morning, I get a call um, from a London military radar tracks military flying in England. And said, hey... Don't know if it's true or not, but somebody reported a mid-air collision, and we need to just let you know. So I started doing a, my job, um, tracking down, contacting everybody, but, um, but two airplanes. I couldn't, there's two airplanes I couldn't, couldn't contact, and they called me back shortly thereafter and said, Hey, do you have a Rick Franks or a Jack Hines flying today? And I said, Yeah, I do. He says, well, We found them. I said, Oh, awesome. He said, No, we found their dog tags in the wreckage. Instantly, I realized that was my flight. Why? Survivor's guilt's a real thing. If you ever talk to soldiers who go to war, it's a real thing. And I struggled with this survivor's guilt. And um, a couple of months later, I was at a social gathering with my classmates, and there's a counselor there, and I just broke down. And he said something to me. He said, you're a follower of Christ, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Well, what makes you think that God doesn't have a purpose for your life? A purpose for my life. Little did I know that that was going to turn out to be missions. But I knew that I had to live a life that was driven by God. And not myself from that point forward. Another thing that happened. When I was in England. That was significant. Is I went to Israel. And I went there with a group of people. That are um, charismatics. Never been around people. That spoke in tongues. Awesome group. I just got to tell you. It was an awesome group. And there's. um, Our preacher that was there. Was a Messianic Jew that led the devotional and the teaching time a guy named Mark Katz and I remember one night he was preaching this sermon on entering the holiest of holies and uh, now for him that was manifested by speaking in tongues and I didn't quite understand that but I went back, I listened to it, it just kind of resonated with my mind, went back to England um, and we were watching slides one night and I had had kind of this conversation with God about some bad stuff that was kind of going on in my life at that point in time. and Anyhow, I asked one of the guys, I was just, again, I was in tears. I'm a tear guy. Um, and so I was in tears, and I said, we got to talk. We get, I, I need somebody that I can go pray with. And, um, and so I sat there that night, and I said, God, I want to enter into the holiest of holies. I didn't mean speaking in tongues, but I thought, I want that relationship with you that is represented by the experience of the holiest of holies. Years later, as I became a Nazarene, I'd say, oh, entire sanctification. Awesome, that's what that thing was. I didn't have a label to put it on back then. By the way, Nazarenes need to really teach the doctrine of entire sanctification because it's an amazing reality but that again set my course on my life on a different course Um, moved back to the United States went to a church and went to Boise moved to Boise, Idaho, started going to a Disciples of Christ Church, Um, guess why okay so it seems to be a little pattern here and so I began becoming um, involved in leadership in the church. One of the girls I dated happened to go to work for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association as they were bringing a crusade to to Boise. Uh, got the opportunity to start preaching in the rescue mission in Boise. God's beginning to kind of move in my life in that way. Um, at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, I met a guy named John Embry, I was a counseling supervisor, and we're kind of standing in line getting ready to go in there. We talked about five, ten minutes, and then, of course, you go do your job out there um, and didn't really think anything about it. And eventually, while living there, I met the cutest girl I'd ever met, which is now my wife, um, who's the daughter of a Nazarene Davy chaplain. Um, I said, You yeah, know, not doing that Nazarene thing, I'm a Baptist. Um, but we really started becoming uncomfortable with the theology that was being taught in our church and so I said hey I met this guy one time who was a Baptist minister at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusade and we could go talk to him about this Nazarene versus Baptist thing Um, walked in the door of this guy's church remember five minute conversation and he's looking at me from all the way down the other hall he says Doug Jones Doug Jones are you still flying F-111s out at Mount? I mean, we all of a sudden, everything we had talked about three years later at this five-minute conversation was there. Um, we became a member of that church. He began to mentor me on what it is to pastor. Um, and For me, the man who probably had the greatest pastor heart of any pastor I'd ever been around. And finally, um, towards the end of our time there, on January 24th, I got... Licensed to the Christian ministry for the first time. And we had already had orders. We were moving to Germany. I will be honest, in my mind, I'm sitting there going, better than missions. You know, God's going to send me to Germany, but this is better than missions. Okay, so I'm living in Europe. Um, So, I worked in a bunker. You had to go down like six, flights of stairs to get down to this cold, truly no heat at all, a bunker that was designed to take nukes if the war ever started. My job was to task electronic combat aircraft in Europe. Hated my job. If I was Catholic, I would say this was purgatory for me. I did my time um, because I'm not flying. And so we found a Baptist church, um, Faith Baptist Church there, and I became the youth pastor. I was a youth pastor there for three and a half years. It is the youth pastor's dream of all dreams. We had a youth choir that traveled all over Europe singing in churches. Um, our ski trips were to the Austrian and the Swiss Alps. Um, it was it was awesome. One of the things that we did there... Um, If you came to visit the church today tomorrow you're getting a visit from our church if you had an adolescent in our church then you're getting a visit from me and one of my youth who would share the gospel with you everybody got the gospel shared with them whenever we visited and sometimes we'd say well just so that we can practice would you mind if and we would share the gospel baptisms almost every week going on it was an incredible incredible ministry about 80 to 100 kids in youth group Um, during that time we had a relationship with the church in romania this is still during communist times when the wall was still up and we would smuggle stuff into this baptist church in romania Um, and so we had that and then we also had the end of the cold war I will never forget the day that I'm standing there and I get this message on there that says all war plans are canceled. Okay, don't have a job anymore. Um, and this other thing happened called Desert Shield. Anybody remember Desert Shield? It's this little setup to do a war in the golf course. All my airplanes disappeared. They all went down to uh, the golf region no airplanes. I absolutely, literally for a year and a half had no job. Still got paid, but I had no job. Um, and we, our church was primarily military people. And so a lot of the kids in our church were really struggling with a lot of stuff. The places they lived was, I called the projects. It was military housing, but it was very similar to growing up in the projects. Um, their dads were often out in the fields, and so they were, for a large part, being raised by their moms only. And then most of our church deployed. Most of the men in our church deployed, and all of a sudden we had moms and, and kids separated from their dads. One of the things that we had to do at night in our church was we had to search for bombs. So, deacons served in the church every Saturday night, and all night long, we would search our building for, long, for bombs. We were actually the second largest gathering of Americans outside the American-speaking theater in the entire area, and they said we were a prime target um, for terrorist attacks. So, we did that. On one of those nights, the war started, a uh, desert storm. Actually, the air war had been going for a while, but the ground war started, and most of my kids' dads were on the front lines, and I knew that they were now engaged in war, um, and so I began to get to minister to families separated from dads. Another thread, another preparation point that God was was using. Um, got through that, came back to the United States, went to work, went to a church in Las Vegas, um, and I had begun to sense my call to ministry much earlier than that. But I also had this thing that said, God says I want you, but not yet. And that not yet part was really struggling for me. So I was coming up for promotion to lieutenant colonel and I said, God, if this is the time and I'm hoping that this is the time, please pass me over for lieutenant colonel and I'll retire. I'll separate from the Air Force. I'll go do whatever it is you want me to do. Even missions. Um, and so, I was driving home on a Friday night. Anybody remember the artist, Carmen? Christian artist? Okay. Carmen was singing this song I'd never heard before, I Will Serve the Lord. And I instantly knew that that's what was going to happen, is I needed to go and serve the Lord. Went home, my wife kind of looked at me and says, what's wrong? I said, been passed over for lieutenant colonel. She goes, oh, did the list come out? I said, nope, but I've been passed over for lieutenant colonel. She goes, how do you know? And I told her, and um, she says, okay. we will put the house up on the market. Do You call the seminary and see whether or not she can get into the seminary this, this summer or not. And God did some incredible things to um, to get us to seminary. And then the list came out the next day, and I was passed over. Um, and my boss said, well, things didn't exactly happen the way that we wanted them to. I said, no, 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 no. Things didn't happen the way that you wanted them to. Um, I'm happy as punch to be passed over for promotion. Went to seminary, spent 10 years there um, at seminary. It didn't take me 10 years to get through seminary. Um, I actually got to stay on as faculty when I graduated with my doc, um, but while there, and as I was getting ready to finish my PhD, I talked to the in Baptist Church, it's the International Missions Board, and I said, hey, I would really like to go work with missionaries. I want to do member care. I want to do, help them stay in the field, work on the stuff that they have, which is, is a thing in the Baptist Church. And they said, okay, that sounds great. Tell me about your family. And I said, oh, well, I'm yeah, married. I got three kids. How old are your kids? And I had one son who was 14 years old. Um, they said, sorry, you can't go. Because you have your kids have to be on the field before they're 14 years old, because adolescence, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in your lives. Um, and as it turned out, that was also my son that had a lot of emotional and mental health issues going on. So they were probably smart. Again, God saying, not yet. Um, but, so we went through, I spent 10 years, like I said, came back up, moved up to Spokane, and uh, looked at every Baptist church in town. I so wanted to be a Baptist. Um, and then... My wife says, could we just visit the Nazarene church? Okay, one time. We'll go one time. And we went. It was not good. Um, our pastor was gone. We had a guest preacher. I'm sorry. Um, we had a guest worship leader, and the music was like, yeah, that's not happening for me. Um, and so she, we went home, and she knew that that was like not happening for me. And she said, could we just go one more time? Just one more time. So we went the next week. Our regular pastor was there. Our regular worship person was there. And I remember sitting on the back pew going, this feels like home. But I said, but God, in case you forgot, I'm a Baptist. And I felt God say to my heart, I thought you were a Christian. Okay, we're here. Turns out that a few years later my son would commit suicide and my church was there wrapping themselves around me. Um, we found out on Saturday night I was in church on Sunday morning at the altar. My church was there. Power of prayer was amazing. A couple of years later we were kind of getting past this thing and I thought okay work and witness Maybe I had to give that a shot. We were, and I'm going to just tell you right up front, when God starts stretching you a little bit, trying to get you to do good things, the enemy also starts doing some work on you. Okay, we're going to go to, I'll take this trip to Honduras. Ever been to Honduras? Um, so we go down to Honduras and one of our last days there a young man walks into our work area with a gun man holds us up um and even at one point i'd given him if you ever going on a working witness let me just tell you always have a throwaway wallet if they don't tell you that have a throwaway wallet so when he came around to me i gave him my throwaway wallet um but i turned around to do my work and all of a sudden a gunshot went off next to my head um and he was shooting at the foot of a younger person who didn't want to give up his flip-flops. Hello, if a guy comes at you with a gun and you want your flip-flops, give him your flip-flops. Um, but I spent the rest of that day and the next couple of days actually doing trauma work with the rest of my team who had experienced this thing. Okay, I'm finally trying out missions, and this is my experience with missions. Um, I thought well, you know it's kind of like going back to the Nazarene church the second time i 'll try another work and witness thing just you know to see if this is better. Did anybody in here go on the district trip to Dominica? I think that there were people, yeah, okay, so um, if you guys want to plan a work and witness trip that's a pretty awesome place i'm just going to say one of the things I have a fear of snakes i 'll be honest. One of the things on the flyer said, "There are no snakes in Dominica. okay, sign me up. I can go to to Dominica um, One of the things though that I noticed when I went to to Dominica, and if you remember the trip there's actually some one of it was really cool. we got to bathe in the in the river where the people were doing their laundry, and that was like pretty incredible. I think we went through three vehicles um, while we were down there um, No offense to the driver. You weren't the driver, were you? You were the driver, okay. So it wasn't his fault, I'm just going to say. But we went through like several vehicles. We stayed together in the basement of the missionary's house. And oh my gosh, the team was an amazing team. But one of the things about the missionary that I've found is it was all about him. I did this. I did that had a bad experience with him in that I was on a trip and he actually, believe it or not, asked me, he says, what did you do to make your son kill himself? Wow. And I said, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay, again, not a positive, but I gotta tell you, the Dominican people and the work that we got, to these people are absolutely amazing human beings. Um, hard work. Did a lot of concrete work. I don't know if you remember the wheelbarrows of concrete rolling on that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my son. Um, so it was an awesome trip, right? We built this, this uh, shower house, and I got to work tying rebar with a guy named Lincoln, um, who had lived out in the jungles for a while, and was just kind of coming back. And we talked about life. We talked about relationship pieces. I got to do therapy while I was tying rebar. Um, Just amazing human beings. So, a little you know, more positive this time I get to sit there and go and I'm and of course I just love the people that I was with and God began to help us with that um, in 2011 I'm not even sure how I found this work and witness opportunity but um, they wanted us to go and work on a ministry in Post9 Poland a place called Sweet Surrender Sweet Surrender it was about, I don't know, we were maybe 20 years after the fall of the wall, so Poland was a relatively new free people. It was a very Catholic nation. If you remember, Pope Paul, John Paul II came out of Krakow, Poland. So well, Evan, Ron, the who actually pastor a church now in Kent, Washington, were field strategy coordinators there, and they'd open up this ministry to build relationship. And people would come to this coffee ministry. There was a Bible study that met there. There's a guy named Brian Fentress, which, this is kind of cool. He went around Poland teaching people how to do black gospel music. Um, So people paid money to go to these workshops. And then in the middle, he said, well, you know, you can't really really do black gospel music unless you understand the gospel. So he got to share the gospel and people got saved as he shared the gospel in these workshops. People paying money to come to know Jesus. I think it's awesome. Um, But even in the middle of that, we had an outreach service that we had probably seven or 800 people standing room only in this hotel ballroom that we had rented. And um, I remember, I don't even really remember Ev's message but the there's a point in it when he said well what kind of a father wouldn't forgive his son and it hit me that I had not forgiven my son for the pain Wow! massive tears again but God continued to do this work in my heart what I want you to understand is that when you're on work at witness yeah you're going out to help other people but God does amazing amazing things in your own life We came home a few years later. I was at the district assembly. Um, Oh, by the way, in Dominica is when I decided I needed to convert from my ordination as a Baptist minister to a Nazarene minister because they said, anybody here who's ordained that would love to teach or preach, come forward, and I'm going, can't do that. And so I realized that if I was going to be a Nazarene, I needed to move my ordination to the Church of the Nazarene. Um, But we had this speaker named Tamina. I don't know if anybody remember this speaker, Tamina, from... Okay. Um, She talked about her escape from Bangladesh during their battle for independence. And, um, And she started talking about kids and... The life and plight of kids we'll talk about that tonight. That lady grabbed my heart um, and I went home and i just I was stirred i was couldn't figure out what in the heck I was supposed to do with this thing and then our district partnered with them by the way, faith promise it's amazing where your money ends up going. We'll, we'll kind of hit there in a bit. but um, And so our district put together a team of three of us to go to um, South Asia, and I fell in love with those people. Um, I often say that if something ever happened to my wife, I would seriously think about moving to Bangladesh to be with those people. Um, incredible time. We'll talk about that tonight. You have to come back. Um, but again, I... That started a, a, launched a a piece for me of doing work in Witness. So, here's part of what I've understood. Anything but missions, God. But I had a really narrow understanding of what missions was. And if anybody asks me what it is, is where my passion is today, my passion is as a missionary. Y'all are missionaries. I don't know if you really understand that. But you are. Some people get to go spend full time lives in the mission field. Some of us get to taste it from time to time. So, sitting in my quiet time one Sunday, or one day during the week, the war had started in Ukraine. And I was feeling really bad for the Ukrainian people. Um, I've been around people, I've been around war, I've been around families that are touched by war, and my heart was hurting, and sitting there, oh, by the way, there's another mission trip I need to talk about first, which was to Mexico, another district trip. Um, One of the, there was a major earthquakes down in Oaxaca, uh, Mexico, a number of years ago, and They asked if I would put together a group of students. Again, I get to be at Whitworth. I'm a professor. I have access to students to go down and work with pastors who had ignored their own needs for a year taking care of other people. So we did. We went to Mexico. By the way, that one doesn't count. There's a couple of mission trips that in my mind don't count. Poznań Poland doesn't count. It was a coffee ministry. I got coffee all day long from world-class baristas. It was amazing. That one doesn't really count. Actually, I shouldn't count Dominica either because that's like a resort place that shouldn't really count. In Mexico, we went down. One of the members of the Church of the Nazarene in Huatuco owned a resort. Yeah. So another resort mission project. This is maybe why I like missions. I don't know. Um, so, there's a couple of days we just sat at the pool, had iced tea, lemonade, went down to the beach, played in the water. Okay, this one doesn't count either. Um, but we had done that work. We spent days, we brought all the pastors from the district in and did a retreat for them. We did therapy till probably two or three o'clock in the morning using Spanish interpreters. Um, so, we had that back. I met a guy named Stephen Sickle, who was working witness coordinator for that area didn't think about it came back to the state so i'm in my quiet time really struggling over you ukraine and just i'm remembering my prayer i'm going god i feel helpless i feel so totally helpless i really feel like i should be doing something for ukrainian people but i don't know what it is so if there's something you want me to do you just let me know And I'll do it. Now, I'm getting kind of old. I don't travel well anymore. But, you know, so I kind of figured my traveling days with work and witness were over. 30 minutes after I stopped praying, I get a phone call from Kansas City. It was Stephen Sickle saying, hey, you remember the group of counselors you took down to Mexico? I said, yeah. This, do you think you could do that again to work with Ukrainian refugees? Okay, God, that's a pretty fast answer. I'm not used to God answering my prayers that fast. Um, and I said, okay, I'll think about it. Um, I called him back 10 minutes later. I said, so what do we got to do? He says, we well, are not supposed to be responding this fast. I said, I'm sorry, I already prayed about this. It's not like I got to pray about this thing some more. So he said, okay. So he started working with Eurasia. One of the things that was important to me is that we didn't add to the burden of the people that are already working with refugees in Poland. So I said, when you're ready, if that's tomorrow, I'll pack up some students and we'll come tomorrow. If it's later, you just let me know. Um, by the way, I had to talked to my bosses because I'm talking about you know taking students into a country that's close to war. Um, and my bosses said, oh yeah, that's good, that's good. So I went home Friday night, I was gonna have this conversation with my wife about going to Ukraine, or going to Poland. And um, I walk in the door and there's this news story on about this new power plant on fire that threatens to make Europe uninhabitable for the next 2,000 years. I'm going, not the right time to talk to my wife about going to Poland. So we waited until Monday. My boss says, did you talk to the missus? I said, are you kidding me? No. Um, so I waited until Monday night, talked to her, and she goes, well, you know, I'm not going to be you know, terribly comfortable about that, but I also know you're going, so have a nice trip. And so when I talked to my students, I had a couple of students. Um, I noticed a guy that was starting to bring, because Spokane has a significant Ukrainian and Russian population, and so I started to get st- ukrainian students russian students in my program i mentioned it in class that uh, i was you know thinking that this might happen by the end of class one of my ukrainian students came up and says oh i've already figured out what we're doing with my kids i've talked to my mom in poland and i'm going so, okay um and i called another one of mine so the one one of them had grown up in kiev um and had only been in the United States about eight years as an immigrant. The other one was born in Kiev, raised in Moldova, and then had come to the United States. So I had two Russian-speaking people to go with me. I thought I was going to go as a third wheel because uh, I don't speak Russian or Ukrainian, and how do you do therapy when you don't speak the language? Um, so eventually they said, hey, what about the end of August? Could you come to the end of August? Well, that just happens to be when I have my month off from teaching at Whitworth. I said, uh, yeah, we can be there. Went to Poland. Um, So Sweet Surrender, it's really kind of an interesting place. So, like I said earlier, it was started as a ministry to Polish people to help them find relationship and to help lead them into a saving uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. Then this thing called COVID hit. Anybody remember COVID? It shut it down because Poland was like super controlling about who could be out of their out of the buildings and so nobody could so it's hard to run a coffee ministry but nobody can go to where you are so they went out of business they shut down loaned their um, their facility to another non-government organization but then they decided to take it back COVID was over we think we can start this ministry up so they called this other couple um, who had been down on the Mexican border working with refugees to come start this move this ministry back up to minister to polish people they showed up on february 1st and later on that month russia invades ukraine and so the field strategies coordinator guess what they did they went to the border right because that's where like all the work is happening and they left this brand new missionary couple to work with refugees. I've seen pictures of Poznań in the area where Sweet Surrender is, and it was tent city. I mean, it was just all over the streets, people. I will say the Polish people have done an amazing job of supporting and taking care of refugees. They know what it is to be invaded. They've been an in invaded people over and over and over again. So people taking people in their homes, even the, these missionaries still had people living in their homes six months, after the war started. Um, Church of the Nazarene just, I am really super proud of the compassionate work the Church of the Nazarene has done with Ukrainian refugees. Um, So now, all of a sudden, they shift from being this coffee ministry to working with refugees. God knew this couple. I mean, he, he prepared this couple to come to Poland to do the work that he needed them to do. You know, he had brought me through my own personal growth to be a therapist, which again, when you're growing up thinking you wanna be a fighter pilot, being a therapist is not on your agenda anywhere, but God orchestrated that. Um, They set up a schedule thing on like my phone, so people just scheduled to see me. There's actually enough English speaking people that needed help that I actually did therapy instead of just watching. Um, Go ahead, next slide. Here's my, this has become my ministry work the more that I've done work and witness. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless Is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Cliff notes, taking care of those that can't take care of themselves and a commitment to holiness. Does that sound familiar? That's the Church of the Nazarene. Um, this, this little girl, absolutely stole my heart okay she's a cute girl but she's a little younger than the cute girls i was talking about earlier um day the war started women packed suitcases got on a train and headed to poland free tickets you didn't have to have a ticket on the train you just showed up and they got you to the border and as i looked at this picture i'm going that's a widow and an orphan yeah dad's still alive but dad's not here um And so it really kind of fit this place. I just want to point one person out of this picture. See the lady in the dark hair at the very, very back of the picture? She's not a Nazarene. But she and her family decided they wanted to take their kids and just go do missions for a year. And so somehow they found Sweet Surrender. They're going to spend two or three months there. I said, where are you going next? She goes, I don't know, wherever God takes us and our kids. But I thought, what an experience for children to have just to go around the world. I think they were going to go to Thailand for a few months, but um, awesome mom by the way. So that is really where my heart lands on all this stuff. It's taken care of and we'll talk about South Asia tonight. Ministry of widows and orphans um, is really what speaks my heart next. Maybe. So we did group sessions, and we we rolled in on a, I want to say a Monday afternoon, and we were doing group sessions Monday night, Um, true confession, I don't speak Russian, it was all in Russian, I started finding myself dozing off, so I had to leave, because that's probably not real helpful in group therapy, this is uh, Vitalina, she's the one who grew up in Kiev, um, and they just did amazing work We scheduled an hour for our group sessions, and they went usually two to three hours, people just wanting to share some stuff. Individual sessions, we did that. The other, we did play therapy with kids um, because these kids have been traumatized. I mean, these kids have been ripped out of the life that they know and sent to a foreign country. Picture on the left, the gentleman in the blue shirt, he was the district superintendent in Kiev. He had actually already announced that he was going to be retiring that year in April at the next district assembly and then the war started. He, um, he was old enough because he's like me that he could actually leave the country instead of being conscripted into military service. Uh, the gal in the blue shirt is his wife. They were now in Poznan as refugees as well. He's not going to come see me for therapy, right? I mean, he just... A guy like him is just not going to do that so we just had conversations instead of therapy and we spent a lot of time talking to each other and working through some of his stuff um we work with conversations so this picture on the right um is another facility where we had a family living and the missionary said she won't come in for counseling but she really really needs it um So we didn't do counseling. We went out and had dinner, and she got to fix dinner with two of my therapists who therapized throughout the dinner-making process. Um, Yeah, but we worked with Ukrainians, Polish workers. Um, If you think about the amount of work that some of these Polish workers have done to take care of uh, refugees, it's exhausting. And it's one of the things that... The one in particular that I worked with is I really am not sure that I've done enough. And she was responsible for teaching Polish language to refugees coming. So I just don't know that I've done enough and the guilt that was around that. And then this gal on the right hand picture, her name is Haley Tarrant. She's actually from our district. Um, Her family went to church in Sandpoint and she's one of the, the missionary couple that went there. And again, if you think about what she's had to deal with over those six months of taking care of refugees. And so she worked with some of our therapists as well. Next slide. Emotional needs, a lot of people had pre-war trauma. A lot of them were in abusive relationships and actually the ticket out of Poland was a ticket away from an abusive relationship. So for them, it was a very different experience. Lack of permanence. Even though you've been in Pose 9 for nine months or six months, you know that that's not probably where you're staying. And so the war was supposed to be over in just a couple of weeks. Nobody expected that the Ukrainian people would actually be able to hold out as long as they have. So these people are now in this very temporary place um, and struggling for permanence. Guilt related to not returning. <laughs> There's this real draw to go back. I met one young man. Actually, it was a DS's son who had a girlfriend and they went to um, visit her parents in in Warsaw and the war started while he was there. He's 30 years old. He knows if he goes back to Poland, he's in the military. Um, And so that struggle with going back and knowing that you can't leave to come back out if you go in and yet his girlfriend very much wanted to go back to to Ukraine. Um, We worked on that separation from families, all these people are absolutely separated. Fortunately, right, we can make contact with our families most of the time back in Ukraine, so that was a bit helpful. Fear and compassion for those left behind. Everyday wondering whether or not the person that you left behind that you loved is gonna find themselves in a in a war zone and uh, killed or injured. Lots of meaningful work. Many of these people had businesses, were professionals, and now they're in Poland working, doing house cleaning, doing pretty tasks that were below what their capabilities were. And then again, just a ton of time processing trauma. Where were you when the war started? And talk to me about your process. Even if you weren't there, where the bombs were going off, think about getting to the border of Poland with a million people trying to get through that and find a place to get a roof over your head there's trauma for virtually every single human being that came across the border next took a sabbath rest uh picture on the right went to a place called pose nine international church and as soon as i heard the band playing i'm going oh that's a brian fentress train worship team because it was really clear um really awesome group people there's a woman there that I didn't find this in the spiritual gifts, but it's a gift. She had the gift of hugging. Um, And I'm not just talking like, I'm a hugger, okay? This lady would hug you for five minutes. Um, And I watched her hugging a young woman that was sitting next to her in church. And I said, I just saw the love of Christ flow from you to her. And it was the most incredible sight. Five minutes later, she stopped hugging me, okay? So it was... um, awesome 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 church um and it's right next door to where we had our services when we were in poland went out to see this this gal on the left is a 17 year old ukrainian girl spoke english um and she's already thinking about where she's going to go to school in scotland and because scotland's inexpensive she's done all this work and she knows where she's going but she was so proud of the room that she had that she wanted to show us the room that she was living in um Great. Next. Our last night in 9. We decided to have a talent night. Um, so all these Polish women could come. I got to tell you, I've never seen so much talent in one room in my life. These ladies could all, some of them were professional singers in Poland. Um, this gal in the middle. She could win American Idol. I'm telling you, her voice, her ability, her stage presence, she could win American Idol. She was amazing. But what I found is as we got towards the end, they would start singing some Polish songs. And that love of homeland began to just overwhelm them. Um, Next. This is a new Sweet Surrender. It is reopened as a coffee ministry, but now to Ukrainians. And it has continued to be a Ukrainian service. It's a really incredible looking place now. These two gals in the upper left are Ukrainian refugees that we've hired as baristas in there. And they're, okay, it's coffee ministry. It's awesome coffee. Next. So here's some prayer requests. You know, I think we remember to pray for Ukrainians. I don't think sometimes we remember to pray for Russians. Um there's a lot of young men. I think I read an article this week they're looking at probably conscripting another 300 to 500,000 young Russian men that don't want to go. That don't necessarily believe in this war. Um, but they're being forced into military service. Obviously praying for peace in Ukraine. This gentleman in the picture on the left his name is Trino Hara. He used to be the field strategy coordinator in South Asia. He's now the field strategy coordinator that's responsible for Russia and Ukraine. So he is deep in the heart of of this war effort and really needs your prayers. Um, Ministry in the church in Ukraine. Church of the Nazarene in Ukraine is doing amazing things in bombed out buildings, taking care of people, meeting compassionate needs, and they need your prayers. Um, Wisdom, strength, and rest for relief workers. Most people are working themselves to death, taking care of God's people and need your prayers. And then just continue to Pray for a mission's heart in this church. Um, go ahead, next. So as I kind of was doing some reflecting on my journey, um, there's some things I kind of learned. It says God knows the path of our journeys will take even when we don't. You know, he holds us accountable for where we are today. Again, if you'd asked me as a 23-year-old, would you be doing work in witness in Poland and South Asia? Uh-uh that was not going to be there. But God understood that. God also calls us where we are, knowing where we're going to be. Anybody remember the story of Naaman, the leper, in the book of Kings? This is one of my favorite stories, because it's my story. Um, if you remember, Naaman, the leper, comes to Elisha. Elisha heals him. And after, you know, kind of some little bit of conflict there. But then he discovers God. He discovers the God of Israel. And if you remember, towards the end of the story, he says, okay, would it be okay if I load up a couple of donkeys worth of dirt? Because in their culture, you can't pray to God unless you're on his soil. Um, and forgive me this one thing that when I go into the temple with my boss, and my boss nails down, and I kneel down because he's on my arm, forgive me. And I love what Elisha just said. He said, go in peace. And that's what God was doing with me when I said anything but missions, God, God was saying, you'll get there, you'll get there, just go in peace, and I will, I will walk with you through that process. Missions and ministry is always about relationships. If you've done work in Witness, you know that what you really bring home is the relationships that you had with the people, not necessarily the buildings that you build. It's always going to be about Relationships. I'll share tonight, but there's been some kind of some scary things that I've experienced in missions and, and people will say, well, why do you keep going? So I always go back to this quote that I got from David, Mer- David Jeremiah, that he got from a member of, of his congregation, because he's afraid of flying. Can you imagine like being a guy like David Jeremiah and being afraid of flying? Because he flies all over. Um, but he had a church member that came up to him and said, you know, man in the center of god's will is immortal until god's finished with him so we don't need to have fear if god is leading us to go to places and then lastly god must always receive all the glory for his work through us it can't be about us it always has to be bringing glory back to god next so here's a warning just as god can bless a building or ministry he can also withdraw his blessing we all even know about the temple, right? God destroyed the temple because his people turned away from who he was and, and actually destroyed it a number of times. And they still didn't get it right. So this is, sad to say, the picture in the middle is the work that we did in Dominica. It was an amazingly beautiful place, right? And then Hurricane Maria came through, a Category 5 hurricane. And guess where the eye passed through? Retreat Center. And the picture on the right is what is left of the Retreat Center. God can take it away. And then this last picture on the right is Village of Hope, um, which was a thriving orphanage in South Asia. Got into some financial issues in Bangladesh. One of the things they found out is that the ministry leaders in Bangladesh had actually bought land with, with Nazarene money and put it in their own personal names Um, so all these kids that were in this picture the orphanage closed and they went home things can happen when it's not me it's not about me but Christ in me next so here's my prayer for your church One, that you would be in Exodus 36, 6 giving up. One of the people, I I read a story when I was in Texas going to seminary about a man who decided that in his business, he was going to give 90% of his profits to God and just keep 10% for the company. And his company grew and it grew and it grew and he was never able to stop giving 90% of the profits of his company to God you think about in exodus 36 6 is when they're gathering stuff in for the temple it's one of my favorite passages Is that moses gave an order that they sent the word throughout the camp no man or woman is to make anything else or, or an offering for the sanctuary and so their people were what they were restrained it wouldn't that be an amazing thing in christ church if paul had to get up here and say hey y'all you know you've been doing great things and giving but you gotta stop you gotta stop we got we got enough here but I think that that's the heart of the church. And that's part of what faith promises about. That you become a great commandment church. That you love each other. And that you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That you be a great commission church. It's an interesting passage. Um, you know, because we take a look at it and it says, now therefore go into all the worlds. So they said no. And the grammatical piece of that is as you're going. The assumption that God had that Jesus had, is that you're going. So let me just tell you what you're supposed to be doing while you're going, which is make disciples. Um, and my prayers is that this church would be a Great Commission church. And that it would be a Nazarene Missions church. Faith Promise Alabaster Sundays are my two favorite, absolute favorite Sundays. Well, three Sundays since we have two Alabasters. Um, but they think you'd be that. So why ways to support missions? The power of the dollar The American dollar does amazing things in the world. So one of the things we'll talk about tonight is child development centers. We build child development centers. It costs $10,000 to build a child development center, $10,000 that will save the lives of 70 children. To me, that's a pretty good bargain. Um, In most of the places in the world, Poland was actually not really, really cheap. Um, for us to go Mexico, I think our entire trip cost us seven hundred dollars for two weeks in Mexico, including airfare. The dollars can do a lot of things. working witness, how many of you in here have been on working witness? Okay, the rest of you who didn 't get to raise your hands, you need to raise your hands because working witness will absolutely change your life, and your life will never be the same. Listen to god 's call. I love having rose. Of young people here because part of the thing that i think that we've stopped doing is listening to see what god is saying to us in terms of our purpose of our lives so i prayer is that you would become a listening church as well and then perhaps most importantly pray the power of prayer is immensely powerful sometimes i don't think that we necessarily understand that But there's nothing that comes close to the power of prayer. I think that's it. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are the most amazing entity in the universe, creator and sustainer of all that is. I reflect on last Week Holy Week as we move from Palm Sunday into Easter and reflecting on how much that you've done to provide for our salvation and looking back to my twenty three year old self that I would even be able to say anything but missions, Lord, is a lack of reflection on on how much that you have actually done for me. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray specifically for young people trying to figure out what it is that you want them to do in life. And for some of them, it may be as significant a change as going from being a fighter pilot to a heart for missions. Lord, I just pray for the offering that you will, the pledges that you will get through Faith Promise. I'm reminded of the fact that you didn't know, but you knew, we didn't know that the war was going to happen Two years ago when we started doing faith promise offerings and that money was used to to minister to people uh, around the world. Faith promise. Because we have faith in you to provide and because we have faith in you to use the resources wherever it is that you call us to. Everything that we do in this church, Lord, everything that we do in your body may be all about bringing glory and honor to the precious name of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you for joining us on the First Nas Podcast. We'd love to see you in person
0: next Sunday. So come and join us on 1700 8th Street in Lewiston.